0: Hi, Steve here. Thanks for joining me. As we all adjust to life in this weird new world of stay at home, maintain social distance, wave at your neighbors, and so on, one of the things that we're all having to adjust to as well is the growing use of digital communication tools. I mean, we all know they've been around for a long time, and we've all engaged with them to one degree or another, But with the increasingly urgent need to maintain physical and personal distance and the equally important need for businesses, not to mention societies, to continue to operate as best they can, one of the things I'm getting a lot of questions about these days is just how to use these tools most effectively. So I thought I might do an episode about them and about human communications in general. And I'm going to start with a story. In 1987, I had a pretty unique experience. At the time, I was working for Pacific Bell, which was California's telephone company. I worked in the Advanced Technologies Training Organization, which meant that my group created training programs to educate telephone company employees about all of the new and emergent technologies that we were using in our world. One of the topics I was asked to create a program for was basic telecommunications, what we might call Telecom 101 today, or maybe Telecom for Dummies. And because it had to be delivered to an enormous statewide audience of thousands of people, there was no way we'd ever get that many people into classroom. So we decided to deliver it using the company's internal cable television network. I'd be in the origination studio at corporate headquarters in the town of San Ramon, and participants would be able to see the broadcast live on televisions all over the state. It turned out this was going to be one of the first distance learning programs ever conducted in the country. I didn't know that at the time. This was also my first time in front of a TV camera, and it was more than a little bit unnerving. Walking into a TV studio as a first-time presenter is a little bit like being wheeled into an operating room for major surgery. You have no idea what all of those menacing tools and gadgets are for. You can't see anything because of the bright light shining in your eyes. People all around you move with purpose and urgency, And you are completely, totally, and helplessly at their mercy. In the same way that the count backward instructions from the anesthesiologist and the surgical light over your head that's the last thing you see as the anesthetic carries you away are mildly terrifying. The studio light shining in your eyes, the big black eye of the camera, and by the way, there were three cameras pointed at me at different angles, so I had to pay attention to which red light was on so I knew where to look. The teleprompters in front of them, the illuminated sign that indicated that we were live and on the air, and the floor directors, three, two, one, as they point at your face to indicate that you're on, were just as terrifying as a surgical suite. At mid-morning, we took a break, and I walked down to the cafeteria to get a cup of coffee. I couldn't figure out why people were looking at me strangely. When she stopped laughing and was able to talk again, the producer told me that I'd forgotten that my face was caked with makeup great. Well, since then, I've spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours in front of a camera, and it does get easier, although the surprises still occasionally happen. I once did a program for a large technology client, a multi-day global broadcast from a corporate studio in the Midwestern United States. The setup was a lot simpler than that first program I just told you about. I sat at a high console on essentially a bar stool, There was a single lockdown camera, meaning that I only had to look at the camera directly in front of me. There was no floor director, nor was there a camera operator behind the camera. It was all set up and locked down before we went live. I was the only person in the studio. Now, I wore a lavalier microphone, a wireless mic, clipped to my shirt, and I was told to put the battery pack, which is about the size of a bar of soap, in my pants pocket, In my ear, I wore what's called an earwig. It's a prompter so that the director in the sound booth would be able to talk to me during the broadcast without having to come into the studio or be heard by the audience. This thing presents a serious challenge because, of course, your inclination is to respond when you hear a voice in your ear. You can't do that when you're broadcasting because the audience doesn't hear the voice that you do, and it looks really weird when you start responding to the voices in your head and they're not part of the conversation. Anyway, we went live and everything was going swimmingly until around two hours in when the director called me on the earwig to tell me that the battery in my microphone was starting to fail because they were starting to pick up some noise. She wanted me to find a logical way to take a quick break in the near future. Imperceptibly, I nodded. Now, what happened next was interesting. In the control room, the director and the sound engineer had a conversation that I couldn't hear. The sound engineer said that he could quietly crawl into the studio, pull the battery pack out of my pocket, replace the battery, and continue without having to take an unscheduled break. No one would be able to see him because he'd be on his hands and knees below the level of the camera's view. They agreed that this was a perfect plan, and he told the director to call me on the earwig and let me know what they were going to do. And this is where, as they say, the wheels came off. The sound engineer grabbed the fresh battery and headed for the studio. And as the director was about to call me to tell me what was about to happen, she got another call from her boss. As a result, she forgot about letting me know that somebody was coming into the studio. So there I was, minding my own business, talking earnestly and seriously about Erbium-doped fiber amplifiers or Raymond scattering or some other boring optical technology thing when suddenly I felt a hand trying to worm its way into my pocket. Now remember, I'm sitting at a high console on a bar stool, which means that my pants pocket is squished tight against my thigh, while the sound engineer, although I had no way of knowing it was the sound engineer, tried to pull the battery pack out of my pocket. I can't say anything, I can't look down, and the last thing I'm doing is remembering that the battery is in that pocket. So, I just kept talking. Meanwhile, the poor sound guy is down there yanking on the mic cable, having crawled across sandbags, light stands, and piles of fat snaking cables to get to me, and I'm not cooperating. Well, that was in 2000, and we still laugh about it when we talk. That director will never live down the fact that she forgot to call me to tell me that I would soon have hands sneaking into my pants under the table. The amazing thing? Nobody in the audience had any idea what was going on. Wow. So I told you that story to make you laugh, but also to point out a very real reality about digital communication and collaboration tools. All things being equal, even using a multi-million dollar studio or the the top-of-the-line virtual conferencing system to hold a meeting, nothing's as good as a face-to-face encounter. But here's the deal: things aren't equal at the moment. We're restricted because of the need to shelter in place. Businesses are closed down, meetings can't be held, schools are shuttered, universities are closed. The good news is that we have tools we can use to carry on that most human of all activities, communicating and collaborating, as long as we understand two things the relative advantages and disadvantages, or perhaps better said, advantages and limitations that characterize the tools, and as long as we, the meters and greeters, the teachers and students who will be using the tools, modify our own behavior to make the most out of using them in spite of any limitations they might have. So I thought I might share some thoughts about things we can do to take advantage of these capabilities most effectively and the steps we can take to help make doing business exclusively in the online realm a little bit easier and a little bit better. So first of all, take stock of what you're trying to do. Virtual communications modalities, which include everything from a simple Skype call to a high-end video conference and everything in between, they lend themselves to different outcomes based on two of our senses, hearing and seeing. So they should be used accordingly. For example, if all you need to do is have a conversation, just pick up the phone and call the other person. If it's a conference call with multiple players, the same rule applies. If there's no need for visual media... If you don't have to see the other people, then don't tie up the bandwidth required for video conferencing. Just do a conference call. On the other hand, if there's a need to display visual media during the conversation, then by all means, use a medium that will allow your screen to be shared, such as WebEx. But please, there's no need to engage video conferencing here. We need to see the information on the screen, not everybody's face. Now look, if there is a need to see faces, and I put seeing your kids and grandkids during this crisis in that category, then by all means do so. But honestly, there are relatively few business reasons that require us to actually see each other. Now, distance education is a whole different thing. Teachers are using video conference capabilities delivered by services such as Zoom, GoToMeeting, and Skype very effectively to hold virtual classroom sessions, during which time the kids can actually see each other and the teacher. It's highly collaborative. It's personal. It's a great use of the technology. Now, one of the dangers that we face with this self-imposed or, in some cases, state-imposed isolation is, well, isolation. We're social creatures after all, and the need for social contact is very real. An electronic session can't replace a handshake or a hug, but the use of things like FaceTime, Facebook chat, Zoom, Skype, and many other tools can go a long way to create a sense of connection that while not the same, just goes a long way to eliminate that sense of disconnection that it can occur, especially for people who are not accustomed to working virtually. Group messaging is also a good tool to create connection. Tools like Slack or Microsoft Teams, along with publicly available applications like Facebook groups, Twitter, and even multi-member FaceTime chats can help to create a sense of collaborative community. Now, let me also say a few things about digital etiquette. I'm sorry, that term just kind of popped into my head, so I'm gonna go with it. These are just a few thoughts to keep in mind as you prepare to use the different modalities that are out there for communication and collaboration. Some of these are gonna seem simplistic, but they're not. First, if you're going to hold a meeting, make sure there's a reason for it. I mean, does it actually have to be a meeting? Could it be a call? Could you simply send out a brief, well-written document or email that people could comment on instead? Second, if you're invited to attend an online meeting, make sure that you should legitimately spend the time to attend. We all know that oftentimes we're invited to attend meetings just because, well, just because, I mean, don't be afraid to push back if you think your presence would provide little in the way of value. It ain't social after all. This is business. Spend the company's money elsewhere if you think it's a better investment, but don't be afraid to ask. On the other hand, if you think you need to be at the meeting, then be at the meeting. Be engaged. Don't be on your phone. Don't be doing email. Don't be typing on your laptop or your tablet. The more engaged people are, the more effective and short the meeting will be. Years ago, I gave a talk at Microsoft in Redmond, Washington. As my escort walked me from the lobby down to the auditorium where I'd be speaking, I couldn't help but notice that there was a repeating pattern of rooms on either side of the hallway. There'd be about five offices and then a meeting room, five offices and a meeting room, five offices and a meeting room, and, a meeting room and so on. What was odd, though, was that there were no chairs in any of the meeting rooms and the tables were all bar height. My escort explained that it was Bill's belief that the only reason to hold a meeting is to quickly share information so that a decision can be made. If you can't complete your meeting in 20 minutes, you weren't ready to hold the meeting, so you get to stand. I hope the story's true, but even if it's apocryphal or exaggerated, it's really good advice. Here's another one for you. If you send out written materials that should be read before the meeting, or if you send out written materials at all, please take the time to write them well, to edit them carefully, and to proofread them ruthlessly. As someone who makes his living writing, I am stunned by how carelessly most business writing is thrown together. Anything you write and then share is a reflection of yourself. It represents your level of knowledge, your credibility, and your ability to communicate effectively, which also means that it's a measure of your ability to influence others. And folks, here's a secret. Write it down initially by hand. And here's why. When you write with a pen, it forces you to slow down and actually think about what you're writing. Every book, every article, every white paper, every script that I write always begins with pen and paper. All of them. Doing it initially on a keyboard makes the process fast and easy and also makes it pretty. But I've seen plenty of poorly written documents that were beautiful to look at because they were right and left justified, perfectly spaced, and typed with a gorgeous font. As the saying goes, you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. Throw away the glitter and pick up a pen. Trust me on this. Okay, here's the other thing. Learn how to tell a story. As humans, we're wired for story. We respond to them. They're part of our DNA. Reach out to me. I'll happily send you storytelling resources. This is really important. Always incorporate story. Finally, Always think about what I call the Jurassic Park effect in your business communications. It goes like this. Just because you can create dinosaurs doesn't mean you should. And we know they shouldn't have because there are at least four sequels to the original movie. The same holds true in our use of communication and collaboration technologies. Just because you have access to a full feature video conference system doesn't mean that it's the right choice for this particular activity. Think it through. I've spoken with more people on the phone since we've all been housebound than I have collectively over the last two years, and it worked just fine. We've all grown accustomed to the quick and easy but largely impersonal and non-real-time use of email, social media, and other tools for what passes as rich communications. But it isn't. It's a myth. Pick up the phone. Call somebody. Hell, write a letter. It actually feels kind of good. And one last thing. Don't forget the people you know who might be lonely or having a hard time with what's happening right now. Call them, too. They'll really appreciate it. I'm Steve Shepard. Hope you found this useful. Hey, thanks for dropping by. I'm Steve Shepard, the host of The Natural Curiosity Project, where we're committed to the idea that curiosity leads to discovery, discovery leads to knowledge, knowledge leads to insight, and insight leads to understanding. In every episode, we explore some topic that piqued our curiosity enough to make us want to share it with you. I hope you enjoy the journey. And if you did, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave a comment over at iTunes or SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you very much. We'll see you in the next episode.